Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. All right, today's sermon text is from Genesis 18, 1 through 15. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Genesis in your Bible. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old, and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Thank you, Sam. Um, It's it's one of my favorite passages uh, actually. So uh, precisely for that last line, uh, and I think that you should put a little bit of attitude in it when you, when you read it. Uh, just generally, I think that you should uh, not read scripture in a monotone voice uh, because, I don't know, it's living, right? It's good. Well, today's text starts um, in the heat of the day. And uh, if you were in Abraham's world at that particular time and it was the heat of the day, you would, you would be sitting uh, in the shadow of your tent, uh, hopefully trying not to be, not to be too hot. Well, uh, the text starts, and, and um, uh, we have a little bit of, uh, let me back up for a second. Right before this particular passage, Abraham and God had entered into a covenant. God had promised Abraham a specific uh, promise, which we'll, we'll get into in just a little bit more. Uh, but he also gave them a sign, and uh, so he had just taken all of the males in his family, and as a sign of God's covenant with them, had them all circumcised. Uh, and, and so he is, he is fully committed at this point to this covenant that God has made with him. Uh, there is no undoing that particular sign. Maybe, that's, maybe I shouldn't have said it. Maybe that's awkward. I don't know. Uh, but you get, the, you get the point here. Like, it is a commitment God has made to Abraham, and Abraham 
has made to God. Uh, Well, right after that, Abraham, like I said, is sitting in the the shadow of his tent, and he looks up, and uh, we are told, uh, not that one, here we go. The Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him, and when he saw them, he ran from the entrance to meet them. All right. Uh, it's, it's doing it again, so there we go. Technology, once we figure, we, we think we have it figured out, it always, goes, uh, it always goes wrong. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them, and he bowed down to the ground. Um, now, I don't know the situation where Abraham is right now, or if there were lots of people that were around where he had made his camp. And I don't know, maybe he was on a, a particular path where there were always travelers. But he sees these three men, and uh, he immediately rushes to them and begins to offer hospitality. Now, uh, the, the passage doesn't tell us necessarily what Abraham knew about these three men. I think if we, uh, if we might read into the text a little bit, Abraham knows that these guys are, are somewhat special. Uh, and so hospitality is, is the right thing to do. In fact, in, in his culture, not to offer hospitality to travelers and strangers that were on a journey uh, was, a great, was a great no-no. It, it was something that, that would have not just embarrassed you, but brought shame to you and your family if you had not offered hospitality to these, uh, to these travelers. And so Abraham, he runs, and uh, he, he addresses them, and he runs, and he goes to tell Sarah to, to get the, the very best flour and to make uh, the very best cakes of bread that they can. And then, and then he runs to, the, to his flocks, and he picks out a, a, a goat, and he tells his servants to hurry up and, and sacrifice this goat so that they can eat it. Uh, one of the things I was struck with this, this, uh, this week about this passage is the pace. Like, there, there is so much language in this. He ran. He hastened, actually. Uh, and he, he went really, really fast to, to prepare this meal. I think he understood that there was something significant about, about these men and what they were doing. Um, and so he, it would have taken a little bit of time uh, for them to make this meal. I don't, I don't know how long you have to wait for an animal to, after it's dead to be able to cook it. Uh, or if they had to wait for bread to rise, but um, we aren't told. Uh, so he brings the meal to them, and uh, let me find where we are. Uh, can we go to the one? Uh, one. It didn't work. Okay. Go back one, please. Oh, well, maybe another one. Okay, I guess it's not in there. Anyway. Sorry, we'll figure this out, I promise. Uh, he brings them, and, uh, and while they're eating, one of them says to them, where is your wife, Sarah? Uh, now, I don't know about you, uh, guys. If you're out in maybe the middle of nowhere, and three men inquire as to where your wife is, like, how are you going to feel? I, I, I think I'd be a little bit suspicious, and I might have been regretting offering them, like, choice meal, uh, I might have been like, you know, you guys can, can go. And, but that's not what Abraham does, right? And uh, it, it goes on a little bit farther. And Abraham's like, they're in the tent over there. Uh, and then, then one of the three guys says this, I will surely return to you in due season, and you and your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent of the entrance behind him. 
Now, I think we've got we, we to go back a little bit to catch up on, on some of the things that are important that might have happened. This is not the first time that God has spoken to Abraham and delivered this particular promise. Uh, we, we looked about this a, a couple weeks ago in, in Genesis 12. God promises Abraham that, that through you, um, there's going to be a great nation with children that is as great as the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. Not only will you have ancestors uh, or uh, people who come after you, but they will live in this land that you are at now. Well, that happened, uh, Abraham was maybe like 75 at the time, I think is what we decided. And he's now uh, 90 years old. Uh, in the middle of that time, uh, they had been waiting for this child to be born. Uh, they had been barren, and, and to be barren was, was not just that you could not have children, uh, but that it was really kind of a state of death here and now. Uh, that to not be able to have children was, was the end of your line, end of your, your legacy of, of who you were, and you would be uh, forgotten to all of, all of time and to history. And, and so it makes a little sense that in, in between this time where Abraham is told that you're going to have lots of kids and the present moment that there might have been a little bit of doubt that creeped in. Well, well things go for a while, and... Um, Sarah has a maidservant. Her name is Hagar. And they haven't been able to have kids. And so Sarah cooks up this idea, which for them isn't necessarily strange, but for us it is. She says, Abraham, I am going to give you my maidservant, Hagar, and she will bear you a son. Uh, Can you imagine that, that conversation too? Uh, and, and perhaps we discussed this in the Bible study this morning, like just how much trouble that might, that might cause, and indeed does cause as, as the story goes along. Well, uh, it, as it happens, Hagar gives birth to a boy, and his name is Ishmael. And Abraham thinks, ah, this is it. This is, this is this, the promise, the fulfillment of God's promise for, for me. This is how God is going to work, work through me. Well, uh, we don't know exactly how much time passes in between there. Um, but in uh, chapter 17, at verse 17, actually, the one right before this, um, a messenger comes to Abraham uh, a second time. And he says this. Uh, uh, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. And she shall give rise to nations. Kings of the people shall come for her. And at 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Can Sarah, who is 90 years years old, bear a child? Uh, So this is the second time. Like they've been waiting for this. and, And God is reaffirming this particular promise. And I love how Abraham responds. He falls down laughing. Like, I I don't know. One of the things I really want you to do when you read scripture is I want you to, like, put yourself and understand, like, maybe the feelings of the characters and and what that might be like and and how you might respond if you were in their particular setting. And here, here Abraham is old, and his wife is old, and she isn't able to have kids anymore, and she never was, and but yet God is coming to you after all of this time and saying, yes, indeed. Your wife is going to have a baby. Oh, he finds this hilarious. So hilarious 
that he falls down and begins to laugh. Um, we go on from that particular place, and, and um, that's where the, the covenant and the circumcision stuff happens. Um, so we, we jump back into the story right here, and uh, so they're asking, where is Sarah? And Abraham says, you know, she's, she's in the tent. Now, I want you to imagine yourself being Sarah at this particular point. Um, you're old, too, and there are three mysterious men out there for whom you've just cooked a meal, and you're really, really, really interested in knowing what, what they're going to say. And so I, if I were Sarah, this is what I would do. I would have gotten as close to them as I possibly could without being detected so that I could hear what they were going to say, right? And, and so I imagine that's what Sarah does, and she, she, gets, uh, she gets close, and she hears her, she hears her name, uh, and she hears what the men say. Uh, verse 10. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance, and now Abraham and Sarah, yeah, they were old. Skip to verse 12. So Sarah laughed at herself, saying, after I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, uh, a couple of things here. It, it, we, we can assume that she has stopped the biological processes that would have allowed her to give children. Um, and, and she's recognizing the, the situation for what it is, uh, that she is old and she will never, ever have children. And uh, the text says that she laughed at herself and really, this isn't like a, a polite little chuckle. This is like, ha, 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 like you might do when your dad tells a bad joke uh, or when I tell a bad joke. Um, this is, this is a, a full-on, like, belly laugh. Uh, it's like when you, when you watch a, uh, okay, when I'm watching this show on Netflix, and it is, it's Irish, and it's absolutely hilarious, slightly inappropriate, but absolutely hilarious. And so, like, there have been multiple times we watch this at night and after the kids have gone to bed, and we laugh really loud. Like, it, it's, it's that kind of, it is unexpected and it's funny and it's, it's just, yeah. It's that kind of laugh. Actually, maybe better. Uh, one of our favorite holiday movies is Elf. What gets me every single time is when Buddy the Elf is in New York City and he gets hit by that taxi cab. It's funny every single time. Like, I laugh. I laugh hard every single time. I don't know why. It just is. I, I, think, I think this is how Sarah is responding. Buddy the Elf has just gotten hit by a taxi. And it is hilarious to her. She is, she is in disbelief that the, the future for her and her husband could be different than it already is. She has an inability to imagine that God is going to work in a what for her would be a death-filled situation to bring about new life. Uh, she wonders out loud, and, and the men here, uh, verse 13, she says, Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and, you sh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Verse 14 then, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Why did Sarah laugh? So apparently she's close enough that, that, she, that, that the men hear this and they're like, why, why? Why, why did she laugh? And then I think, this, I think this last question right there, 
is super important. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Here we have, in a short span of two chapters, uh, two people who have been presented with the, the promise of God. The promise of God who created the world out of nothing. The promise of God who, who uh, sustains all things, who can do anything. And they've held on to that hope for so long, and yet time has passed, and they, they have lost faith. Uh, maybe Sarah laughs because it's kind of painful, you know? Like, she's held on this hope for so long. I don't know if you've ever hoped for something for so long and then just had your hopes disappointed. Maybe you get a little cynical about that. But both her and, and Abraham have been confronted with this promise from God, and it has been a long time in coming. And now, even if they could have believed before, now they just they can't imagine it. It is beyond their ability to comprehend. Uh, one of uh, one of my favorite Old Testament scholars, uh, he says this about this particular text, and I think I have a slide there. Yeah, we go. It's two two slides. The story is constructed to present the tension between the inscrutable speech of God that comes as promise, and the resistance and mockery of Abraham and Sarah who doubt the word and cannot believe the promise. Israel stands before God's word of promise, but characteristically finds the word beyond reason or belief. Abraham, and especially Sarah, are not offered here as models of faith, but of models of disbelief. For them, the powerful promise of God outdistances their ability to receive it. I... I, we're so used to thinking of Abraham and Sarah as like great characters of faith, and, and they are. But maybe not in this particular, particular story. Uh, they are models of disbelief. And while we could fo- focus on that for a little bit and, and maybe wallow in our own disbelief, I think what is the remarkable thing, the remarkable thing is that even though they have mockingly laughed at God and God's promise, even though they have been unable to imagine a future different than the current one, that God still uses them. That God, in the midst of their unfaithfulness, fulfills the promise. Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac, and he will be the father of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will have a mess of his own sons, which will become the tribes of Israel. And it's from the tribes of Israel that Jesus comes. Uh, The one who lives and teaches and gives himself in faithfulness, who despite our ability to to conceive of things differently, of the way the works that he, that he gives himself up and self-sacrifice and love. That he he empties himself of all of the things that that he might take advantage of as as he is God and that 
He did that not for his own sake, but for the sake of creation, the same creation that God has continued to be faithful to from the very beginning. The the promise that Israel, or that Abraham's seed will be a blessing to the entire world comes true in Jesus. That that question, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? I, I think... I think that hangs in the air for us a little bit. I, I, think it's, I think it's the question that Israel had to ask itself constantly. Because this is their story, right? This is their witness, their testimony about who God is. And it's also their witness and testimony about who they are in unfaithfulness to God. Uh, that this, this question, is there anything too wonderful for God hangs for Israel as a constant reminder that they are likely not to believe the things that God has promised. Or not even that, they are unlikely to believe that the way that God says they should live in the world is actually the way that is practical and right and that works. The same question hangs in the air for us, always. We are confronted as we try to live faithfully in this world, as we try to to understand who God is and what God is calling us to do uh, as people, as families, as churches, and we hear God say through Jesus Christ something like this, love your enemy, repay evil with good, turn the other cheek, Do good to those who oppress you. All those good things that are in the Sermon on the Mount. We take a look at those things and we say, (laughs) as one person said to me uh, recently, I don't think it works that way. This is another Christian, by the way. Not anybody here. I don't think it works that way. Well, no. But the promise of God The promise of God is that that salvation for creation, salvation for you and me comes not through uh, the way we think it is, but it comes through love and sacrifice. It comes through faithfulness in the midst of unfaithfulness. This This is what we have received. We have received God's abundant grace We have received God's abundant faithfulness. And God now calls us then to live in that same kind of way towards others. I think the way we put it today in in Bible study, I think you might have said this, or Josh, uh, that we are to be as graceful as as God has been grateful for, for us. I don't know. I didn't say that right same grace we have received is the same grace that we must ultimately give. And sometimes I think that means we get crucified. I don't know what that looks like here in America necessarily where any type of persecution that Christians might face is insignificant compared to a lot of places in the world. But I think I think it calls us to, as, as God is calling us to that kind of life, it calls us to imagine 
that the world as the way it is now, with sense, unsense, eh, I don't know, across my YouTube sometimes when I'm mindlessly scrolling YouTube, which is maybe a little better than mindlessly scrolling Facebook, but, but not by much. I get these videos of like the conflict in Ukraine. And I, I am just struck by the absurdity of it of the utter waste of life and material that that war is causing in that place, regardless of what you think politically about all of it. And I see those things, and it is hard for me to imagine that the world could be different. Uh, That the way we might settle things is not through bombs and, and guns, but through love and conversation. I realize countries, whatever, it's, it's hard to imagine. But, but at the end of the day, I think that that's what God is calling us towards. It's what God is calling all of creation, not just the church towards, but to a world which is whole and right and lacking in death. That, that the very best of our ability is for, for God to work in us to imagine that the world that it's broken in the ways that it is, might be repaired and fixed. Ultimately, and we've used this word a whole lot the last couple of weeks, is a call to a renewed imagination about what God is doing in the world. But it's also a call towards renewed hope. That though we may wait a very long time to see the promises of God fulfilled, that God is going to fulfill those promises nonetheless. You and I may not be alive when Jesus comes back and makes all things right. Nonetheless, that's what we are called to believe. You and I may never see how us living in selfless, loving, grace-filled kinds of ways does anything good for the world. But it is. It is a hope. And we got to hold on to that. That this God, who throughout all of Scripture, remains faithful, will continue to remain faithful to us. Even when we laugh. Uh, so there's, I got some questions for us, and we started doing this, putting these up on the screen. If you guys want to get to the next slide there. Uh, two questions I think I want us to, to, to think about as we finish the service and receive the Lord's Supper. When have you witnessed God doing unimaginable things? And maybe you have to sit and wait and think really hard about that for a while. And that's okay. But I think part of Scripture's purpose is to remind us that God has done imaginable things in the past. And God will continue to do things that we think are unimaginable here and now and in the future. The second question, when, you have, when have you laughed at God in disbelief? Uh, so as, as someone who reads a lot of scripture... Uh, and is confronted with it 
a lot, I have to confess that I do this quite a bit. (laughs) That as I work to understand what this story means, as I work to understand what God might be calling us to, that I often suffer from a lack of hope and imagination to see that the world could be different or that people in our interactions with each other could be different. I find it hard sometimes to see a world in which you know, people aren't just unnecessarily cruel to each other. And I've, I've laughed. I'm like, ah, oh, well, that's, I don't, I don't think it works that way. So as we receive the Lord's Supper, this meal is a reminder of the unimaginable, the power of God to work through death to destroy it, the faithfulness of God to a creation that is woefully out of whack, It is a call to imagine uh, that the world might be repaired. It's a call to hope that God is going to come again and set all things right. And it is as we receive these elements that we are reminded of this story. We are reminded to have imagination and to have hope. And yet at the same time, it is always a meal. It's always a meal, and meals give strength and sustenance to go out and do the work that needs to be done. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit TakeItToTheHeart.com.